Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes oath is as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for memory than of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they share in anything done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, Do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favour to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time. When it falls suddenly upon them. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised. His words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard, rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Amen. We end there at the end of chapter 9 and we thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Well, before we 
uh, hear the, the preaching of God's word, let's come before God and ask for his help to understand. Let's pray. Our God, we recognise our need of you today. We need the help of the Holy Spirit, this inward illumination which you provide for your people. We ask, O oh God, that you would enlighten our hearts, that we may understand and believe your word to us today. Help us, O oh God, to see Jesus. Help us to exalt him. In our presence today and for his glory. Amen. Well, folks, I'm sure I must have told you before about my time as a young man of 19 years old serving as a camp counsellor in Ohio in America. Uh, It was a wonderful summer. I have many, many fond memories of it. Uh, There's one man who has stuck in my head ever since, another one of the counsellors called Leland. Leland was a really genuine Christian guy. He was very relaxed with the children. He rarely got worked up about anything. But what sticks in my head about Leland is that any time we were getting the kids ready to go anywhere or do anything, he would make a point of saying what he had to say three times. We're going for breakfast in 10 minutes. We're going for breakfast in 10 minutes. We're going for breakfast in 10 minutes. You need to put your shoes on. You need to put your shoes on. You need to put your shoes on. Everyone needs to bring their bathing costume with them. Everyone needs to bring their bathing costume with them. Everyone needs to bring their bathing costume with them. You get the idea. I eventually cracked. I had enough of it. And I asked him, what are you doing? Why the constant repetition? And he responded by saying, the average human brain needs to hear something three times before it takes it in. And so he was making sure that the boys and girls understood exactly what was required of them. Interestingly, he only told me that once. (laughs) And I still remember it 20 years later. I'm sure there's plenty among us. And we've asked our children to get their shoes on or to brush their teeth. And we get fed up. We think we're talking to ourselves at times. Here's some advice. It might be good to avoid the frustration and remind ourselves the average human brain needs to hear something three times before it takes it in. It certainly seems to be something that the Holy Spirit, as the divine author of Scripture, is aware of when he was inspiring the biblical writers. On many occasions, the Bible gives us repetition of an important point. In fact, as we're reading our Bibles, we should be on the lookout for repetition because that usually highlights for us the main point of the passage. Today we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And what's happening here is the whole book of Ecclesiastes is a sermon. Remember the, the one who wrote it, we call him the preacher. It's a really long sermon. And as he comes to the end of his sermon, before he gets to his final conclusions, he wants to make sure that his hearers have been paying attention 
And so he's going to repeat some of the key points for us. Ecclesiastes 9 is a summary chapter of what has gone before. The meaning of life, the universe and everything has been laid out for us in this book. Today in chapter 9, the preacher isn't going to say anything new, but he's going to repeat for us what he's already told us. And I think if we take verse 2 of chapter 9 and combine it with verse 7, we essentially get the summary of the preacher's sermon so far. You see verse 2, all things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner, he who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. And then, what does verse 7 say? The first part of verse 7. Go. All things happen alike to all people, so go. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. And so, the preacher is repeating for us what we've already heard. Now, I have two points for us today, and they could be summed up like this. Life is unpredictable, but there is one thing that is certain, and that is death. And so enjoy what you have of life. I'm going to start as the preacher does by thinking about death, and then we're going to move to think about the unpredictability of life. The point is this. Life is short. The older you get, the more you realise that life is short and it will soon be over for all of us. And so we should live it to its fullest, knowing that it will soon be over. I've illustrated this before by asking you to think of a sandcastle. You remember that? David Gibson uses this illustration in his commentary. Life is like a day on the beach building sandcastles. We put in the effort and time and we enjoy it. We enjoy the time that we're spending with our family or our friends. But at the end of that day, we have to walk away from the sandcastle and we know we are in the full knowledge that it will be gone tomorrow. The the tide will have come in and washed it away. But even though we know the sandcastle won't last, that doesn't stop us from enjoying building the sandcastle while we can. Another illustration we might use is a snow day. This is not an illustration of mine either. I was pointed to it online. The the preacher who used it is an American called Bobby Jameson. And boys and girls, you'll, you'll appreciate this one. Think about a snow day. One of the great things about a snow day is that you can't plan it and you can't schedule it. You can't say to yourself, do you know what, I'm going to work really hard this week and then by Friday we'll have a snow day. It doesn't work like that. A snow day is a gift to us. It all starts when we wake up, we open the curtains and we see the world in a totally different way. It's beautiful, isn't it? Pristine, untouched, new snow. Fresh snow is a beautiful thing. It's not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. It just comes to us as a gift. 
And then we sit waiting by the phone. Whenever I was a kid, it would have been the radio or the TV, but now the schools send out a text. And there's this anticipation, has the school been closed? And again, the news comes through as an undeserved gift. We don't have control over it. You can't control the mind of your principal. And the school is closed and we go out and we play. We play with freedom and abandon. We throw snowballs, we build snowmen, we sled down the nearest hill. What joy it is to have a snow day. It's great to think of that at the end of a pretty wet and miserable April. But we all know that at some some stage the, the snow day will be over. The snow will melt. It'll turn to mush and then eventually it'll wash away altogether. And in truth, we don't want it to last forever. It's great while it lasts, but a perpetual snow day wouldn't be possible. We need to go to school. We need to go to work. We need to go out and buy our groceries and we need the groceries to be delivered to the shops in the first place. But isn't it great while it lasts? It's a gift. It's not for us to to take that gift and try and build upon it so that we can gain from it long term. We just enjoy it. We enjoy it as a gift that passes us by, like a sandcastle. A snow day is to be enjoyed in the moment, but not forever. The preacher of Ecclesiastes may never have built a sandcastle, and maybe he never had a snow day But this is his way of describing life to us. Life is a gift. It's not a gain, it's a gift. Look again at verses 7 to 10. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all the days of vanity. For that is your portion in life and the labor to which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Life is a gift. It's not for us to gain from It's a gift from God, and so we enjoy it while it lasts. Enjoy it for what it is. Eat good food, drink good wine, find a husband or a wife to love, have a family, enjoy the company of your friends, live life as a gift from God. Read a book, watch a movie, go for a walk in the morns, paint a picture, learn the piano, take a spin in the tractor, learn to fish, listen to a concert, plant a garden, Take time to smell the flowers. Go on a cruise. Slow down. Live your life. Love your life. Because look at the end of verse 10. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Life is gift. Not gain. But like a snow day or a sandcastle, it's going to end. Life in this world is going to end someday. 
But the preacher doesn't want us to, to be led into despair by that. He wants to say, enjoy it while it lasts. Enjoy all the more what you have in this life. I want to turn again to David Gibson. He, he comments on this section of Ecclesiastes. He says we need to come to terms with death in all of its complexity and perplexity. It's not easy, but we need to learn to live by realizing that we will die someday. It's not something we can avoid. The preacher's repeating himself here. The, David Gibson is repeating himself at this point in the commentary. I'm repeating myself. I've said all this before. But the point is worth repeating so that it gets into our heads and into our hearts. All people will die. No matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, no matter how much money you have, no matter if you're a nice person or a nasty person, no matter how many friends you have, no matter how big your family is, death is certain. For all people. And that leaves us perplexed because many of us want to live in this perpetual snow day. And we can't understand that one day the temperature will rise, the snow will melt, and it will all be over. But the Bible is telling us today it is guaranteed your life is headed for the grave. All of the money and friends and good looks that you have in this life, they'll be gone. But instead of letting or leading us to despair over this truth, the word of God comes to us today and Jesus takes us by the hand and he speaks truth into our ears. I want to read a, a paragraph from David Gibson's book. He says, Jesus comes to us saying, Trust me, walk with me, love me, put your hand in my hand, believe my word. Stop trying to understand everything, to be in control of everything, to tie up all loose ends, to have perfect peace and wealth, and health, and happiness. Stop striving for those things, and stop it now. If you can't see that life doesn't always make sense, then something is coming your way which will prove it to you. Death is coming. The preacher has told us before, death is a good teacher. So what does death teach us? Well, death teaches us to enjoy life while it lasts. But what else? And I'm thinking here of what does death teach us as Christians? What does a good theology of death look like? How should believers in Christ think about death that is different from the way the world around us thinks? Well, first off, we know that death is the result of sin. And by that, I don't mean that your personal sins lead directly to your death, but simply what the Bible clearly teaches, that death entered the world as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. God made the world in perfection, without sin and death, but due to the sin of Adam, believing the lies of Satan, death entered in. Death was the result. 
The boys and girls who've been learning their catechism will know question 19. What is the misery of that estate wherein, into, sorry, wherein man fell? All mankind, by their fall, lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Because of the fall, death came in. Death is a result of the fall. It's not the way God created the world. Because of that, we know a couple of things. We know that none of us is owed life. Every one of us is given life as a gift. It's not something we can earn. But we also know, because death is an intruder, that God hates death. God hates it. I do believe that death was a mercy of God to Adam and Eve, that they wouldn't live forever in hatred of God. It was given to teach them that life is a gift from God. But it's clear that God hates it. It wasn't part of his perfect creation. It's an intruder and it's not welcome. Think about Jesus' reaction to the death of his friend Lazarus. He wept over it. He groaned over death. He was angered and frustrated by it. Jesus hates death. We should be comforted to know that when we lose a loved one, Jesus is weeping with us over their death. But Bible-believing Christians know more than that about death. We also know that death is not the end. We know that we are here in this world a short time, but that eternity is forever. For someone who trusts in Christ, death is not the end. It's merely a transition into a greater and far better reality. Death is what takes us to heaven to be with our Lord in his glory forever. As wonderful as a snow day is, what's waiting for us is so much better. A good Christian theology of death is knowing that it's not a full stop. Death is a comma. And that heaven is where our treasure should be. Heaven is where we ought to be storing up treasures through good works and service. We know that we can't bring the things of this world with us, don't we? All of the land and the cash and the machinery, that's not going to make it into glory. And so we hold loosely to those things. And we cling closely to Christ. Because he's the only one who can take us to glory. A good theology of death means living, as Paul says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ has blessed us with lots of things in this life and we are to enjoy them. Enjoy them to the glory of God who made them. Enjoy them like you enjoy a snow day. It's here now, but it's passing away and we know that we're all going to die someday. But what awaits those who trust in Jesus is better by far. Our second point today is much shorter. It's simply this. 
Life is unpredictable. None of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow could be a snow day. Or tomorrow might be our last day. Verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says this. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favour to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Nothing in this life is a given. That last line, time and chance happen to them all, basically could read, stuff happens, things happen to us. No one knows how or when things will happen, but they do. Normally, the fastest person wins the race, but not always. Sometimes they trip and fall or pull a hamstring. Normally, the strongest fighter wins the fight, but not always. The best candidate does not always get the job, and the wise do not always prosper. The bookies have more money than the gamblers for this very reason. Life is unpredictable. And so we can plan for things. We can think to ourselves, I'll save and I'll save and I'll save and then I'll buy my dream car. Or I'll wait until the mortgage is paid off and then I'll go for that round the world trip. But things rarely work out according to our plans. Things change. Life is unpredictable. The Apostle James comments on this phenomenon. Listen to this. James is really helpful here. James chapter 4 and verses 13 to 15. James says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appears for a time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We shall live and do this or that. Life is a vapour. The wind blows it this way and that way. None of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So what do we do? We trust God. We trust God for this moment and for the next moment and the one after that. We live our lives knowing that God is in control. No matter what happens. Our times are in his hands. Life in this world is so unpredictable, it's so uncertain that we could be left wondering how to live. One thing that is certain for all people is that life will be soon over. But the Bible is saying to you today, that's not a reason for despair. There is hope to be found, not in this life or in this world, but above the sun. Once again, the preacher directs our eyes beyond creation to the creator. We need to look to Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the only one who is certain. In fact, Jesus is more certain than death. He's the one who gives life as a gift for us to enjoy. 
And he's the one through whom we can have everlasting life. If you're a, a Christian today, you have a great deal to live for. And you have a wonderful hope in the face of death. The pleasures of this life are a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. They are pointing us to an unending snow day. A day when we will not have to worry about tomorrow. For we will be forever in Christ's perfection. Perfectly enjoying and glorifying him. But if you have never trusted in Christ. I want you to hear the warning of God's word today. Your snow day is coming to an end. What lies beyond it is misery and bitterness and death. Only in Jesus is there hope. So come to Christ today. Let me pray for us.